You're listening to a special WVON Chicago and WURD Philadelphia simulcast, an in-depth look into the art and science of urban violence. Here are your hosts from WURD, Nick Taliaferro, and from WVON, Kimberly O'Goan and Matt McGill. All right, guys, we are about to embark on a special simulcast with our friends from Philadelphia's Black Talk Powerhouse, WURD Radio. You guys have uh, heard our friends from WURD come on before. In fact, Nick Talaferro has been on with us, with Kimberly and I, before to talk about these issues that plague both of our cities. When you think about Chicago, you think about Philadelphia, you're talking about two cities, two of your older cities in the nation that have some of the same characteristics, population characteristics, a large African-American uh, population. We kind of deal with some of the same issues. And uh, more importantly, we have Black Talk Radio, that be this platform to help us talk about these issues every single day. So uh, with that, Nick, welcome back to WVON, my brother. Happy uh, Wednesday to you. It's always good to be with you, Matt. Kim, it's so good to see you again and to be able to share this time with our, our, our brothers and sisters from Chicago through the agency of WVON is just a high privilege. It is so unfortunate that we do so in the shadow of the topic that we have to share today. All right. Yeah, you're right about that. But this is a conversation that that is important that we need to have, of course. And uh Absolutely conversations that we've had before in the past. You know, it, it, it's funny because, uh, Kim and Nick, um, I was watching uh, Quest Love's piece, uh, speaking of Philadelphia, right? Isn't Quest from Philadelphia? The roots are from Philadelphia, aren't they? Yeah. He absolutely is, uh, man. Absolutely. And uh, that uh, summer of soul, man. And when you think of the history of black people in this country, you know, that, that documentary kind of touches on the issues that were important back in uh, the late 60s, right? And primarily... We're dealing with violence so much. We're dealing with poverty, though, right? We were dealing with underserved communities. We were dealing with the heroin epidemic and what that was doing uh, to our community. And then, of course, later on, um, you know, we've always had this violence issue in Chicago. You know, give us kind of a, a historical perspective on Philadelphia, if you can, uh, Nick, in terms of of this issue of, of violence. And I want to just see how it compares. And Kim and I want to see how it compares to what we go through here in Chicago. You know, the, the amazing thing, Matt and Kim, is that it, there is an almost lockstep when it comes to violence. In the 60s and the 70s, Chicago was plagued by gang violence. Uh, I remember being in Chicago in the 70s. I, I, I had a girlfriend who lived in the Robert Taylor homes. Oh, I remember and, her. And, and, and I realized I didn't need... <laughs> I said to myself, I ain't going to have this girlfriend for long. Not, not here. Not here. Right. But gang violence, you guys had... To, you had the gangster disciples. You had the Blackstone Rangers. We had street gangs in the city of Philadelphia that surged the violence. And then there was uh, the drug plague that hit. You had it. We had it. And 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 now, right after you know this pandemic, there was this surge, and and Chicago shot up, and Philadelphia just followed right in in suit. 
And and right now we're at 311 murders in the city of Philadelphia, and, and you guys are ahead of us quite a bit, but you're a much larger city. And so we're right. finding ourselves facing some of the same issues with the same type of demographics of defining neighborhoods and defining economics. You know, Nick, it's interesting that you're saying that because I just completed a walk. Uh, we have a pastor here, Pastor Anthony Williams, who's from the U- UCC churches, and it was his brainchild to mm-hmm. take a walk from Chicago to Washington, D.C., hitting 10 cities. And I completed that walk with him from June 23rd through July 4th. Philadelphia was one of those oh, cities. And at the time that we got there, the the murder rate was at 297. Mm. So just in that amount of time, you all have wow. already broken 300. Um, every city that we visited yeah. from yeah. Gary, Indiana, Toledo, Ohio, these are smaller cities. Of course, Wilmington, Delaware, which is where President Biden is from. All of these cities are all on track to break their records as far as murders are concerned from last year as well as the year before. And one thing that we saw everywhere that we went were people want to find some solutions. They want to find some solutions to figure out how they don't have to be the next person for this violence to touch their lives. Philadelphia was a very interesting place when we got there. So I'm so glad that we're able to do this <laughs> simulcast with you. No, we, we had we had very strong voices meet up with us in Philadelphia talking about what you guys are doing to attack this this issue of violence. Well, you know, one of the things, and we'll have one of our guests who will talk about some of the work that we are doing here in the city of Philadelphia. There are a lot of people joining hands, joining hearts, and trying to link up to find ways to combat the violence. But, you know, it seems that this violence is a stubborn thing, and we find ourselves... Um, even in the in the face of our best efforts, we find ourselves fighting an uphill battle. I imagine the same thing is going on over there for you, Matt and Kim. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I talk about Chicago all the time in the history of violence, right? Uh, Kim Kim knows. I I wear this line out. There's never been a time where Chicago has not been violent. There's never been a time where Chicago True. the the gang mentality is in this city's DNA. Right. And so there, there's part of me and, and, Phil, and Philadelphia has some some of that same DNA. When you think about organized crime and, and the mafia and and oh, we go no back question. to the early 1900s, yeah. you know, the violence has always existed. The race of the people who were violent maybe has changed because uh, uh, communities that uh, are denied resources have changed. You know, you know, early 1900s, Irish and Italians, uh, you know, were considered second-class citizens, and guess what? They form gangs. They form street gangs that evolved into the mafia, mm-hmm. uh, organized crime, right? You know, we, we talk about black-on-black crime, mm-hmm. you know, in Chicago all the time. Hell, man, there's a time in this country where you had Italian on Italian, Irish on, you know, the, the Irish Jews and, and Italians created the, yeah. their own syndicate, which created their own economic opportunities, right? And uh, so that's what black people have done are economic opportunity has been obviously to sell drugs and to uh, try to put food on the table and that has created violence in cities like Chicago, Philadelphia, New Orleans, Memphis, all over the place, New York. Uh, we see it all over the place. So this is the reality of being black and and when you are part of that community that has not been included, this is what happens. This is what happens. This is what happens. Yeah. Now, what's the ratio? What, uh, now, may, is, may I ask a Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Nick. 
I just wanted to ask, are you noticing, Matt and Kim, that the shooters and the victims are becoming increasingly younger in Chicago? Oh, definitely. We've had so far, and this is not as of last week, but we have had approximately 202 children shot in the city of Chicago. Yeah. That number has to have risen because I haven't, I wrote a, a, a whole a paper on this and I wrote it last week. So we, not just the, the age, we're talking younger people. We're talking older people. We're talking in broad mm-hmm. daylight, Nick. You know, this used to be something that would happen in the evening. You know, the time when your mother tells you nothing good happens after the sun goes down or what have you. We're talking broad daylight noon. Just we just had someone get shot and killed um, just sitting in their car on, on, on a major thoroughfare, 71st Street, you know, all over. So it's it's the idea of. You can't say this person is, I guess you could still say this person is more likely to be caught up in this, but it's happening. And not just that, Philadelphia, and you have to tell me if Philadelphia is as segregated as Chicago is. I've been there before, but I don't remember that. It's starting to spill out um, out of the communities where it was known to be, the south and the west sides. It's starting to spill out into downtown Chicago, north side areas. And another thing that has become huge in our city over the last two years are carjackings major numbers of carjackings um, by younger people to go to your point as well because it it appears that younger people cannot be held as accountable as older people it's almost like they're being put up to do it so yes we're seeing an increase in in a lot of killing shootings involving younger people it, 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 you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, and I see that, that our guest has arrived, but one of the things that we had noticed that even though most crime is down, a lot of the other crime that you normally see is down, carjackings are way up. And I, I did not know that the same thing was happening in Chicago, that you had carjackings that were going up. And as you said before, a lot of it is being driven by younger people. It is... It is a scary statistic, Kim. It is. And also, one more thing, Nick, that I'm kind of paying attention to. Um, in, in many instances, the shootings that are happening, they are happening even with, I won't say with a police presence necessarily, but there just doesn't seem to be that fear anymore, no. that deterrent factor of there are police officers around you know yeah. we, we have this one place that we call um it's like a, a strip an economic strip in a neighborhood called park manor and there was a lot of traffic there around two o'clock in the morning so the police said next weekend we're not going to let that happen and they came out in force 30 police officers 15 vehicles and someone still came and shot 10 people killing one even with that type of police presence so uh, I'm serious. Yes, it really did happen. So th- th- it's just there are many things that wow. we're very concerned about here. But that 202 children being shot in Chicago with 13 killed, 13 babies killed <clears throat> on the streets of Chicago. These are things that we are very concerned about. You know, I think back about uh, in the early 90s and we're going to bring in Dr. Lamar Hasbrook, who has joined us here. I think back in the early 90s, there was a name, Yummy Sandifer, and yeah. Yummy was... 11 oh, years yeah. old. Remember remember yeah. that, Nick? And that was really... I remember I remember Yummy, yeah. yeah. That was shocking to the country to see this 11-year-old 
that was immersed in the gang culture here in Chicago. And it seemed like uh, that story made Time Magazine and, and everybody was talking about it. And then shortly after that, Yummy was killed. It was almost like he got too much attention yeah. for for the the, the uh, gangs, and that was something that they definitely did not want at that time. But you know, I'm not sure that the the young people being involved is necessarily a new thing. It might just be that we're covering it so much. Now, I do think the young people getting shot and killed is a new thing, but uh, that is something. Now, Kim, uh, Doctor Lamar Hasbrook is on with us right now, and he's the former director of the Illinois Department of Health. And one of the things you were walking for yes. was this issue of public health uh, as violence is a public health crisis. Yeah, right? and so here's the thing. Um, when Pastor Anthony Williams decided to do this, so he got a bill passed here, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, House Bill 158, which basically labels violence as a public health issue, as a, as a public health crisis, so that we can try to figure out and detect what is really going on. When he first came on the station, Melody connected me with him because – that resonated with me. I used to work for the Illinois Department of Public Health, and the very first person who ever introduced that concept to me was Dr. Lamar Hasbrook. So I'm so happy that he is here to share some of his thoughts and uh, on on the science of this, is because we're talking about the science of urban violence. How are you, Dr. Hasbrook? So great to see you. Hey, I'm good, Kimberly. Good to see you too. Good to see you, Matt. Good seeing you again. Matt. Yes. Um, and great. Yes, yes. And greetings to you, Nick. Nice to meet you. George. Pleasure, my friend. Pleasure. So when we're talking about violence as a public health issue, Doc, are we on track with that? Are we on track? I mean, is this really the, uh, one of the roads that we need to be taking? Because, you know, there are a lot of people in despair around the circumstances that are happening right now. Share some of your in in insight on this. Right. Yeah, I would I would say we're not only on point with that uh, paradigm or that framing of uh, as violence um, being a public health crisis, public health issue, public health priority. Um, but we're actually kind of behind uh, the eight ball in terms of, uh, you know, we've, we've been doing this in public health for at least two decades um, and looking at violence as a public health issue. And um, the obvious uh, reason why we do it is because when you look at uh, let's say leading causes of death. There's a lot of indicators of health, but if you look at leading causes of death, you'll find that homicide, especially among African American men, black men, is the number one leading cause of death for men <laughs> one, age one to 19, for men age 20 to 44. Um, and then when you get uh, to 45 to, to 64 years old, it becomes number nine, leading cause of death. So we tend to outgrow violence. It makes sense. You don't see a lot of, you know, a lot of 60-year-olds going, you know, duking it out on the street corner. Um, uh, but actually, when you look at African-American women, it's like number two and number four leading cause of death for ages one to 19, ages 20 to 44. So it is it's up there. You know, we're talking about 7,500 deaths uh, per year among black folks. We're talking about rates that are six times those of whites, uh, rates that are three or four times those of the national average. Um, and so when you just look at the, the, the burden in terms of death, um, not to mention the non-fatal incidences of violence, those so stabbings, those so shootings where people actually live, and then everything under that iceberg, um, you can quickly arrive to the to the uh, conclusion that it is it is a public health problem, it is a public health priority. So that's kind of one way we do it. The other way we do it is we try to superimpose upon this particular problem, that is violence 
um, all forms of violence, but let's talk about the most extreme form, which is uh, fatal violence, um, lethal violence, which is typically firearm related, yeah. um, gun gunshot. Um, when you look at um, when you look at that, and you superimpose on it what we call the public health model, which is how we attack any condition, health condition. We start with step number one, which is really defining it. So something we call the descriptive epidemiology. It's like the where, the what, the when, the why, the how, who's involved. Just describing the picture. Is it South Side? Is it is it West Side? Right. Is it you know is it Northern Philly? So you know that kind of thing. When people are involved, is it men? Is it women? We know that violence, fatal violence, is typically a male phenomenon, although it's growing in, in women. Um, it's usually about 80 to 20, 85 to 15 percent in terms of those perpetrators and victims. So that's kind of step number one. Step number two is looking at the risk factors and the protective factors. So those things that lead towards violence, fatal and non-fatal, and those things that might buffer or protect an individual, a family, a community. So that's step number two on the public health model ladder. Um, and then step number three is really looking at interventions, prevention, um, you know, those types of things, uh, best practices, models that really help to change the trajectory for certain folks in harm's way. And then step number four is really scaling those. And so that's kind of the public health model. And it's been applied to violence again for at least two or three decades. Um, and depending on the political will, Sometimes there's a lot of interest and resources to focus on that kind of research mm-hmm. and and uh, and spread it. And then sometimes, again, depending on who's in the on the Oval Office and where the money is flowing, what the priorities are, sometimes it dries all up. Um, and so that's kind of the big picture of how we frame violence um, as a public health issue. Yeah, you know, uh, if I might, Doctor Hasbrook. Oh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry, man. No, no, Nick. Go ahead. You know, I was wondering about when you speak of it as a public health issue, uh, people immediately think of the mental aspect of health. Are you looking at it prophylactically like, hey, we've got to figure out what's going on in people's minds before they become violent? Or are you looking at it uh, from a reactive perspective? We've got to deal with people because of the violence and the trauma that they've endured that might lead them into further violence. Well, that's an excellent question. I I think you have to look at it from 360 degrees. I mean, violence... And the issue of violence is very com- complex and complicated. It's multi-tiered. We can look at risk factors in, in terms of individuals, in terms of families, in terms of the ecosystem or the community, in terms of your peers. And so there's a lot of, you know, kind of pressure points that lead someone to eventually either be a victim or a perpetrator of violence. There is the mental health aspect that you're alluding to and the trauma that folks experience just being in these neighborhoods or experiencing and seeing a family member or a friend get shot or get stabbed or get killed and, you know, these adverse childhood, um, you know, exposures that can lead to PTSD and other things that lead to more uh, stress and anxiety and, and more, um, you know, more prone to, 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 to lead into violence as well. So it's a very complex issue. What we've tried to do from a public health standpoint is tease out some of those risk factors, some of those things that can tip you over. Obviously, things like you know, gang involvement, things like alcohol and drugs, things like having uh, parents absent from the home or parents that don't really know how to parent, you know, excessive or inconsistent discipline. So these are some of the things that we can tease out, you know, um, in terms of things that are going to lead you uh, down harm's way, Um, things that school involvement, church involvement, things that might protect you. 
um, having good coping skills, good conflict resolution skills, things that might protect you, um, that kind of thing. So we try to tease it out from that standpoint as well. But it's, it, it really does require a holistic um, analysis and a holistic approach that needs to be customized for different individuals, different families, different, uh, different communities. So I, I guess here's the question I was going to ask. A couple of things. I think, you know, when, when you talk about public health issues, right, the average person, we think about stuff like COVID, right? We think about, you know, a pandemic right. or something like that, that, hey, you know what, there's a vaccination out, you can get your shot, and uh, you are protected. That's one thing. So I think, you know, uh, getting people to look at violence in that way is one challenge, I'm sure, right? That how, how, do, how do we take this issue of violence sure. and what it's doing to our community and our people and how do we connect the dots like you just brilliantly did, Doc, to, to people understand it's a public health issue. The other part of that is black people's experience with access to health care in this country has not been good, Right. And so when we look at health issues that that plague our community, like high blood pressure and diabetes and all these issues, um, or early detection of cancer and all that stuff, we connect that to access to health care. Is, is there is there a argument here, a thought here, that if we address, address violence as a public health issue, that it will get the kind of attention that will provide access to the remedies, right? And you kind of broke down some of it, that there will be some kind of progress made in making a dent in this issue that is obviously taking a lot of lives in our community. Did that make sense at all? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, no, it makes it makes perfect sense, and that's exactly right. What we try to do is, first of all, we want folks to understand that that violence is preventable and not inevitable. So there's nothing in the water, there's nothing in the genes, there's nothing in these communities um, that that means they must be violent. You know, they're going to be violent. Right. So the public health model says once we understand these problems. Um, if it's if it's if it's cancer and cigarette smoking, if it's car accidents and seat belts, in this case, it's violence. Then we can try to understand what are the things that uh, you know increase the risk for that. What are the things that protect for that? And then let's work upstream um, to 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 prevent things. When you th- when you talk about things like cure violence, and you know, cure violence is in Chicago. It's it, it's a model that's been you know different places. Well, that really is addressing recidivism and violence, or what we'd call uh, tertiary prevention. That is, you've already been violent. We want to break the cycle so you're not going to be more violent and retaliatory and that kind of thing. But in public health, I mean, with the public health model, we're really thinking more upstream in terms of primary prevention, avoiding even those risk factors. And then if you have risk factors, secondary prevention, that is, you might be in a high-risk environment, a high-risk family, but how can we prevent you from going on to commit violence or being a victim of violence? So it really is about you know a framework that says, this is preventable and not inevitable. Once we identify those things, we can then reinforce those things that help uh, de-escalate, neutralize those things that don't help, um, and then kind of prevent you know, the, the outcome of violence from, from happening and decrease that. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we're talking to Dr. Lamar Hasbrook. You're listening to a special simulcast broadcast here at WVON. We're joining our sister station or our brother station, either way we want to put it. 
the black powerhouse in Philadelphia, <laughs> WURD Radio. Like us here at WVON, black-owned radio talk, talking about these issues that have plagued yeah. our community, the stuff that you guys hear Kim and I talk about every day, and, and Perry Small and Rufus Williams and everybody every on show. WVON. Um, uh, these are the issues uh, that they talk about in Philadelphia as well. Every uh, show there. True. Trying to get to the bottom of it and the solutions. And no other issue is uh, hurting us more than this issue of violence. Well, now that we do have this tool here where we have declared this to be a public health crisis um, in the state of Illinois. Um, we know that there has been an executive order in New York. It's, it's you know, c- taking the world by storm. Doc, you know, I went on this walk. I, I went to 10 different cities, and every city, Gary, 57 murders. Uh, and, you know, Gary's a very small, very small city. South Bend, Indiana, 14 murders. Toledo, Ohio, about 30, 88. And we're talking about, you know, gun violence. There's a big a big focus on gun violence, but we're talking about babies being killed, you know, uh, beaten, beaten to death, domestic violence. We're talking about elder abuse, child abuse. We're talking about, just like you said, all of those different forms of violence that don't necessarily end in a murder. Just there seems to be this lack of being able to, to relate to each other, that type of thing. So now that we have this law, we have this law, as you know from being the former head of the Department of Public Health, there will be an appropriation. Um, what is the most <laughs> effective way in order to roll out some type of, I don't know if it's a program, if it's policy pieces, what do we need to be doing to bring down this count of violence? Well, um a couple couple of things I want to, I want to say in response to this. Number one is um, in terms of the trends of violence, they're actually coming down nationally in terms of fatal uh, firearms and non-fatal violence has come down. It really peaked in the early to mid nineties, okay. and it was, it was associated very tightly with the crack crack epidemic. So it is coming down nationally. It may not look that way in your in your locale, um, and there's still far too many um, uh, murders and um, non-fatal violence and still disproportionately affecting black and brown folk. Um, but it has been coming down uh, from a national standpoint. That's number one. Um, number two, as we alluded to, for every murder, it's important to understand we focus on murders, but for every murder, consider that the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole lot of non-violent or non-fatal um, violence that occurs. Folks that come to the ER, folks that get patched up, folks that may survive, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, bullying, fighting, all the other stuff that we never even see and talk about, but it's a culture of violence uh, that we're dealing with. Now, when you get to solutions and you talk about an appropriation, before we even talk about money, we got to talk about commitment. Mm. Um, because if it's not a sustained commitment, as you know, I chaired the task force in Illinois and did a whole bunch of other things while I was there. So I was the staffer for that task force. I was the staffer for that. <laughs> that tab, okay, the violence well, task go. force. There yeah. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I know you're going to have Representative Ford on it. He was part yes. of that task force. But there has to be a sustained commitment Um, that has to last from leader to leader to leader. Um, Because one thing that the community cannot uh, tolerate um, and really won't benefit from is episodic care, episodic Mm -hmm. aid. You know, as Matt's alluding to in terms of the access of of general care and health care and other resources, we just don't have it consistently. We don't have enough of it. So we need to start with a commitment, sustained commitment. Now, then we have a commitment. 
and we have some resources. We need to understand that we have to match the resources with the challenges. It needs to be customized. We need to be um, looking at every community. We need to map out. This is kind of step one on the public health model. What is the description? So where are the hot spots in terms of violence? Um, that's number one. And then how do we match these resources with these hot spots? Um, and then how do we understand um, what resources are needed in the community from the community? But too often we want to bring the solution in without even understanding the problem. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the end stage of the problem, the death, you know, and the, and the, um, the disability um, and the injuries. But we don't we need to really analyze where the problems are. And to do that appropriately, you have to get the community engaged because they can tell you, you know what, it's not that we need this thing here. We actually need this community center here. We actually need these jobs here. We actually need stable housing here. We actually need employment here. We actually need, you know, supervision here, after school pro. They can help tell you what they think they need or what they want. And then you can match those with the evidence base that shows um, what, what helps. And so, the key thing is to understand every community, I don't care how dilapidated, how distressed, has assets. Sometimes those assets are the people. Sometimes those assets are the, the, the church. Sometimes it's the, it's the hair shop. You know, sometimes it's the school. They have assets. Um, so you got to find out what those are, amplify them. Um, and then many of them have deficits um, and, and actually scarcity. And so you have to find out what those are and supplement those. Um, and so that's kind of the formula in terms of how you approach it. You don't throw money at it. Um, you just have to understand it so that um, the resources are really fitting the problem. Wow. Uh, Dr. Dr. Hasbrook, listening to you, I understand now why you refer to yourself as a passionary. I mean, I can hear the passion and the intellect and, 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 and the commitment to it. And I, I, I wish we had time. I know we're right at the point of break. And uh, I, I want to remind everybody that you're listening to our colleagues and friends at WVON, the powerhouse voice of black Chicago, teaming up with um, – WURD here in the city of Philadelphia for a special broadcast, and this broadcast is being brought to you by Einstein Healthcare Network, and it's entitled The Art and Science of Violence. We've been listening to Dr. Lamara Hasbrook giving us a little bit of chapter and verse about the the nature, the ontological nature of the violence that we are seeing so that we can better begin to approach it. Uh, Dr. Hasbrook, this has been great. i got to figure out how to get you over to Philadelphia, sir. That's right. Okay. There's a way. There's a way. All right, we are going to take a break here, Nick and Doctor Hasbrook. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Good seeing you again, and glad we were able to share your 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 knowledge and experience with our friends at WURD in Philadelphia. All right, guys, you're listening to a special broadcast with WVON WURD. We will be back. We are talking about the art and science of urban violence. And when we return, we are going to have here in Chicago uh, somebody that you guys are very familiar with. State Rep. LaShawn Ford is going to be joining us. And Nick in Philadelphia. Uh, we will have Erica Atwood from the city office that is charged with creating strategies to combat violence. There you go. We'll be back right after this break. Excellent. You're listening to a special WVON Chicago and WURD Philadelphia simulcast, an in-depth look into the art and science of urban violence. Here are your hosts from WURD, Nick Taliaferro, and from WVON, Kimberly O'Goan and Matt McGill.
you. Glad that we can join you once again on this special simulcast. And we want to remind everybody that this simulcast is being brought to you by Einstein Medical Center of Philadelphia. We appreciate our friends for sponsoring this program. It is entitled The Art and the Science of Urban Violence, and we are talking about violence. We are here. All right. We have uh, in the studio with us uh, State Representative LaShawn Ford, and uh, what I tell you, uh, ever since I've been at WVON, uh, Nick, this brother has been fighting the fight uh, on all levels. And so it's a pleasure to have him here to talk about the legislation that has been passed on violence as public health. And, and Kimberly, of course, has been a stalwart on this issue. She told you guys, uh, walking to Washington, D.C., she, she breezed through Philadelphia, Nick. <laughs> But uh, all of this in this that's effort. The be- that's the best way to do it. <laughs> right, 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 right. It was right. enough time for a Philly cheesesteak, I will say that. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, let, let us bring State Rep. Uh, welcome to WVON, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. At, welcome back to welcome WVON. Back. I should be saying, Nick should be saying, welcome to WURD in Philadelphia, right? You know, so you. Welcome, Representative Ford. Good to have you, sir. Thanks for having me, y'all. So uh, talk about this legislation and, and what you've been doing. Yeah, I mean, this legislation is all about um, Pastor Anthony Williams. He is the author of the legislation. Long before people were talking about uh, violence is a public health crisis, he was talking about it long before his son was killed, right, Kim? 2018. So um, the key is to make sure that we label this so that it can be treated the way it should be treated. And um, that's what we plan to do with the law that Governor J.B. Prisker signed into um, Illinois statute. And that is naming violence as a public health problem. And, you know, and state reps, just so you uh, your listeners in Philadelphia know, you know, Chicago is kind of divided into two areas where the majority of black people live on the south side and on the west side. Right. And uh, both areas, you know, let, let me say this. Used to be back in the day, the South Side, we used, we used to brag about how, you know, man, all the violence and mayhem happens on the West Side, but uh, that is not the case anymore. Uh, let me tell you, uh, the violence on the South Side, in, in my opinion, just based on the population, because we have so much more population on the South Side, has exceeded the violence on the West Side. But State Rep. Ford, you know, represents uh, the majority of areas on the West Side of, of Chicago. And you go outside of Chicago yeah. as well, right? go out to seven different suburbs um, in the western uh, suburbs of Illinois. Yeah, and the violence is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah. especially downtown, it's happening in downtown Chicago. It's happening everywhere because, you know, I think that, the trauma is spilling over in every community and people that once thought that they were safe. No one's safe if we don't join in to treat this as it should be treated. So, so as a, as a politician, I know a lot of people are probably, and this is one of the reasons why we wanted you on and, and, uh, and our friends in Philadelphia, you know, we know we have a problem. People want to feel uh, like uh, our public elected officials doing something about it. Right. How would you speak to that and to the black caucus that exists uh, down in our state's capital? Yeah, we have to do better at convincing our colleagues throughout all branches of government that violence is a problem that's impacting all of us. So we have to make sure that people realize, look, that shooting over in, at, in Washington at National Park is a result of people hurting 
and it's not just black people hurting, but we need to make sure that everyone knows that the trauma that's being felt is being felt in every community, and if we don't do something about it, then everyone's life is at stake. So we need to do our job at convincing our colleagues. That's why we elected to convince them that we need their help to um, deal with the problem. Secondly, we got to convince our um, constituents and our family members that we can no longer make excuses about why it's okay to do wrong. I mean, it's it's very, very difficult, but one thing's for sure, we've come out of a lot as black people, and we just celebrated um, Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. And there was, you know, just thinking about Juneteenth, what our ancestors had to go through, but because of their fortitude and fight, we're here today. And so they didn't make excuses. Imagine if they made excuses. We wouldn't be sitting here today. And so I think we have to give up the excuses that we're having uh, every day as to why we can't make it, you know, why Todd's people, um, um, you know, holding us down, the man. You know, I, I just think that when we as a people stop, stop making excuses. I, I just got that rep. I just got that. Okay. So excuses, we already know that there is a problem. We know, I heard you, Matt and Kim, you guys spoke about the conditions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We have to recognize the cards that we're dealt. But everyone, when you play spades, you're looking at a strategy to win. Regardless to what those cards are, you're going to figure out a way to play that hand the best that you can. And that's what we got to look at in life, no matter what. No excuses. Let's try to win. And we saw the model for mm -hmm. it when COVID-19 hit. It was a disease mm -hmm. that absolutely no one knew anything about. But it was like, we cannot fail. Failure is not an option. And they figured out a strategy. They tried things. They came up with, you know, we've got to make sure that we contain this. We have to do all of this. I think, and, and you may think I'm right or wrong, that violence has never been approached in that way because people feel like, oh, that's just them over there. But when you have shootouts happening downtown Chicago or when you have the real mass shootings where a person goes to a school and shoots up everyone, these are real issues that can impact anyone at any time. So what is the getting that bill passed? Obviously, you are having some sway with members across the aisle and members that are not from our community. What is that looking like as far as you having that persuasive effect on your colleagues? I think now people are realizing across the nation that we have to make sure that we recognize that people are struggling with mental health challenges. Mm. And when people struggle with mental health challenges, they're sometimes hurt, and they begin to have um, s situations where they become violent. You know, um, when people have the inability to feed themselves, they make excuses, and they say, I have to figure out a way that I could feed my people, so I'm going to go get a gun, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to sell drugs. But we, we can no longer make those excuses, and we have to send a message in our towns that we believe that – just like in our families, when we were raising our kids, that if you do wrong, we're going to give you tough love. We're not trying to kill you, son, but we're going to whoop your butt or we're going to do whatever Something. we need to do, punish you. But, you know, consequences. you got to have consequences for your actions. And that's the message that we have to send to the people so that we could what you call deter crime. But we have to have a system, once we get them in it, that it's not going to make them worse. 
So mayors and governors have to make sure that we reform our um, institutions like Cook County Jail or whatever county people are in, that when they go in, there's a plan for them. We should not send people to our state prisons only to return them back worse. That only hurts our community. So society Mm. is really doing it to our communities across the country. It's not just Chicago. It's everywhere. You know, I think that's the quandary, uh, quandary that we're in. But go ahead, Nick. I know you want to say something. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, just following up on, on Representative uh, Ford's last statement about not making them work, uh, our criminal justice system, uh, our, the entire juridical process is based on retribution. There's been a lot of talk about restorative justice models that would allow for the healing in our community to take place after infractions. Uh, is Illinois doing anything to 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 bring that aspect of criminal justice to the table? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a few years ago, I I established a committee called the Restorative Justice Committee because I know that one, it, wow. you have to have a system that recognizes the harm that has been done um, to a person, recognize that they have to pay the price, but try to find some type of um, uh, balance so that there's some forgiveness so that there's healing. And that's what we, we're doing. We're doing it more with um, Judge Evans. Judge Evans get a, a, a real bad uh, rap these days with the crime going on, but he's got the restorative justice models for juveniles where the juveniles are not going to be sentenced to um, and have a felony on their record. They have to go to what you call the restorative justice court. And that allows them to get the reforms in their life that they need. And then um, they will not have a felony on their record. So we do have it. And we also have it for adults here, too. It's called Redeploy Illinois, where people are, you know, sort of put into a system um, diverted from the criminal justice system so that they don't have to be faced with felonies. Nick, it looks like we've got uh, our sister Erica on with us. You want to do the honors and introduce this dynamic black woman? It would be my sheer pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, we are pleased to have joining us the Senior Director of the Office of Policy and Strategic Initiatives for Criminal Justice and Public Safety in the City of Philadelphia. That office is entrusted with enhancing the well-being of communities and by trying to find ways to stem the tide of violence. Uh, Ms. Atwood, it's a pleasure to have you. And, and we're in the middle of a little bit of a tug of war in the city of Philadelphia where, where people think that the government just isn't doing quite enough. Give us a little chapter and verse on what the government is doing. Sure. Um, and good evening, beautiful black people. It is a, a, a pleasure to be here and an honor and a privilege. Um, and so uh, at one, forgive me because I am running the streets and in between <laughs> things. So I really but I really wanted to make time for this conversation. I understand the importance um, to have this dialogue um, locally and nationally. Um, so to talk a little bit about really quickly about what we're doing, um, I'm chiefly responsible for um, violence prevention, community engagement 
as it relates to public safety, criminal justice reform, and um, in innovative initiatives, um, as well as um, uh, our, our reentry uh, supports and offices. What we are doing here um, is our, our five-year comprehensive strategy. It's called the Roadmap to Safer Communities. Uh, it was written in 2018, launched in 2019. We were supposed to implement it in 2020, but we all know the apocalypse started. And so now we're in 2021, and we are really trying to hit the ground running and, and save the lives of folks that look like all that look like us and and what I have been doing is I have been restructuring this work, um, having been on a local and a national level working in youth development, community engagement, and violence prevention, is really focusing on what does it take to be innovative? What does it take to, to engage community in a sustainable way? What does it take to align city services in a way that is supportive of the work? And, and we're doing that, and we're doing that in ways on a weekly basis, not a daily basis. Uh, and so the, the idea that, um, and, and I, I will, before I say that, I will say that um, we met, we were, we were one of the cities that the, the White House has identified that they're gonna provide technical assistance for. Uh, we were on that call uh, last week with Ambassador Rice, the mayor, myself, and Vanessa Garrett Harley, who's the first deputy managing director. What they want to do and all the supports and services that they are recommending for cities that are in that cohort to do, we have already begun, we have already launched. There are, or, there are uh, academic institutions like um, UNLV that are looking at us and how they're looking at how we're coordinating city services in a geographic way to support not only police but community organizations we're doing it from an asset-based model we are doing it in a real-time problem-solving model and that is what is going to work we are investing in community organizations with our targeted community investment grants if you are in philly and you have not applied and you want to apply you are individual or small organization the applications are still open to the end of this week to till so friday um, so we are doing, we are making the investments, we are doing the things. May, may I ask how much, uh, what, what, the, what the number is on that investment so that people can get an idea of the scope and scale of the investments? For FY22, we are investing $155 million just in supports for um, safer communities. And so that is public safety work, behavioral health work, um, trauma-informed work, uh, uh, investments in young people and communities. Erica, let me all ask you a question. So, because it sounds like you all are really on the move and doing a lot, but what does that look like for me just living in a home on a street in Philadelphia? Perhaps there have been some, some violence that happened to my family or something like that. How would I access that? Or do you have to be an organization in order to access that? I'm just trying to figure out at just the, the, the bare no, level. So, yeah. So a couple ways. Um, it depends. If you are just a resident in the neighborhood, you are going to see more interaction in your neighborhood um, uh, if you are experiencing high levels of gun violence. There's going to be more activity at your recreation center. We have our community crisis intervention team, which is on the street overnight that is mediating conflicts, is talking to young folks. They go door to door after an incident. You have access to behavioral health resources, even if it didn't happen to you or somebody in your family. If it happened to the kid around the corner, down the block, and, and you feel some sort of way because you knew that kid, you still have access to behavioral health supports. If you have a family member who has behavioral health issues and they are in crisis, you what we are now doing is not just having 
police respond, but we are having police and a behavioral health professional respond. And so those are the things that regular folks can see. Hmm. Let me ask you guys this. And, and with, with all the work yes, that's being done on the ground level and, and what you're doing, Erica, and State Rep uh, LaShawn Ford, um, legislation uh, that has been passed that's looking at this issue of violence in our community, is there any point of this where we have to understand uh, the history of this country and how this country was born from violence? And that violence is just a part of who we are in America. The laws that support guns in this country and almost encourage guns in this country. Um, you hear people in, in Chicago wanting to arm up. Mm. You know, we sound, look, my people on South Side Chicago, they, they sound, they sound like, uh, People down in South Carolina and Florida, red states, they're ready to arm up. <laughs> ready to, they ain't playing around. So, how, how much is the history, the real history, you I know, and what we, and Erica, and what we saw on January 6th, mm, right? The, the, the insurrection, which is all about what? What? This country, the birth of this country, people Our ready soul. to fight and be violent. How much is that just who we are as Americans? Hmm. I'm not willing to say that that's who we are as Americans. I'm willing to say that it is um, it, it, it is a part in a through line to our culture to a degree, um, American culture. But I do think we also are a community of um, of multi. I mean, we're we're a patchwork quilt. I'm not gonna say we're a melting pot. We're a patchwork quilt. Um, and so I think that there are things we bring to the table, being different people, different kind of mindsets. Um, I will also say that I'm a little scrappy, and so sometimes I will just go to the, the, the other route and want to, like, punch somebody in the face. So, like, I mean, they're, they're, it's part of us. Um, but I, I do think there's um, there's a, there's an opportunity here for us to be asset-based, and I don't want to get caught up in um, the narrative of, of white supremacy uh, in, in that we don't have a way out of it. We do have a way out of it. We, we will continue and keep fighting. But it took 400 years to get here, so I don't know how many years it's going to take to get out. Good point. Right. I, I'm, right. with, I'm with you, Representative. <laughs> but I, I'm going to go with uh, Matt on it. Also, this country has been violent to black people on every level. Um, and so that does Absolutely. impact us on a mental um, state, and it, it, it affects us physically. And our communities reflected. I mean, mm. and so we we have to remember, like Erica said, no matter what, we still got to get out of it. So it's it's rough. All right, guys, uh, we got to take a break here. I want to thank Erica Atwood uh, for coming on with us and State Rep. LaShawn Ford, Erica, Senior Director, Office of Policy and Strategic Initiatives for Criminal Justice and Public Safety. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. When we return, the conversation continues. Val Free is going to be joining us. Troy Wilson will do those introductions when we return. WURD in Philadelphia, WVON in Chicago, talking about the art and science of urban violence. We'll be back after this break. You're listening to a special WVON Chicago and WURD Philadelphia simulcast, an in-depth look into the art and science of urban violence. Here are your hosts from WURD, Nick Taliaferro, and from WVON, Kimberly O'Goan and Matt McGill.
All right, good people, welcome back to you, and thanks for joining us on this uh, extraordinary simulcast between two powerhouse stations, WVON in Chicago, Illinois, the voice of black Chicago, and WURD here in the city of Philadelphia. This program is entitled The Art and Science of Urban Violence because we are dissecting the issue of urban violence from a solutions-oriented perspective. I am joined by my colleagues over at WVON, Kim and Matt, and we want to remind everybody that this program is being sponsored by Einstein Medical Center here in the city of Philadelphia. Einstein Medical Center is dedicating heart, soul, time, and energy to helping us resolve the problem of violence. Matt, you know, the, the, the good news is that um, we have time now to, to take some calls and, and okay. to do some discussing ourselves because one of the guests that I had, we had a storm that blew through, that blew all of his power away, and he's sitting oh, wow. at home in the dark praying for the light, right, right, which right. gives us an opportunity to do some discussing about this, as you had stated earlier. Yeah, you know, let's do that. And uh, we've got a guest, Val Free, that's going to be coming on as well. So, you know what, let's open up the phone lines. Should we open up phone lines right now? That, and, that'd be a great thing, our, man. our friends from uh, Philadelphia, let's, let's encourage them to call Definitely. us at 773-591-1690. That's 773-591-1690. You know, Nick, in the last segment... Uh, State Representative Ford, he used an uh, analogy talking about playing spades. I had, I, I was like, hey man, you know they're, they're in Philadelphia, man. They don't know about that in Philadelphia now. Hey, 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 hey look, let me tell you, we'll take your lunch money over here on spades, <laughs> man. Don't, don't sleep, Philly, on spades, man. Uh, <laughs> we will get with you. On, we will get with you on spades. I, I mean, you know, I appreciated the the um, the statements that the state rep was making, particularly about. Instituting the restorative justice model. As it stands right now, Matt and Kim, typically when people go to jail, the idea is that they feel that they are being simply punished. And when they come out, most times they're angrier than when they went in. And many times they don't have any additional skills. So what happens now is you get somebody who went in doing the wrong things, who come out with a bad attitude, who have learned how to do a lot more wrong things. You know what, Nick? The AP just released an article today having that very similar discussion that we are talking about the 50th anniversary of the war on drugs, the war on drugs as imposed by president Nixon and all of the people who feel like Mm. they did their time, but they feel like they are still serving a life sentence because they still can't do things like chaperone their child's, Mm -hmm. uh, their child's field trip because something comes up. They can't pass background checks. Uh, Many have become entrepreneurs, Matt, Mm -hmm. because they could not be hired someplace and they're wondering when does it end when will it end even though i've paid my debt to society very interesting conversation but you know what guys we're also in this quandary right now too though where you know we we want a a judicial system that's fair to black people because we know the history of policing and the judicial system right cops have discriminated we know profiled racially profiled black people and then they team up with district attorneys right get the charges bam and black people have been shipped away in jail prison industrial complex we've talked about that over the years and what that means right so now over these last several years we fought for judicial reforms, right? Here in, 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 in Cook County, where Chicago is, we got Kim Fox elected first black female state's attorney elected because we want, we did not want over policing and overcharging happening to black people. 
Now we've got this surge of violence going mm-hmm. on, and people are trying to connect the two. And you know what? Black people now are saying, you know what? Lock these dudes up. Get them off the streets. They're yeah, killing. Yeah. They're, in Chicago, my line, and Kim will tell you this too, Nick, man, we're killing everybody from our babies to our grandparents. What the hell is going on? And people want to see. Well, look at the blowback in New York. Look at who they have sent to the next election. Right, exactly. That's a, there you go. Definitely not defund the police. Very good point. Yeah. Very good point. And 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 good point. Are we talking defund the police anymore, people? We we want scalps right now in Chicago. We want these brothers, man. The yeah. violence that's happening in here, we hand them over to the family. Let us deal with this. You, you, you look, and guys, I mean, one of the things that, and we're having a battle in Philadelphia right now uh, about this. It was only a year ago that we were saying that there's too much policing, we're over-policing. It was just a year ago when George Floyd was murdered, and we said many of our younger people were saying, defund the police. And and now people are saying we need more police, the police aren't aggressive enough. That pendulum is swing, swinging back and forth wildly. And and many people are saying that we need to have an, a, a police emergency or a, a criminal, a violence disaster emergency declared in our communities. I think that that might bring to our people uh, police forces that are almost militaristic that would create the kind of problems that we thought we just got rid of. I'm not sure how you feel about that. Hey, you know what? We've got some phone calls. Uh, this is what we wanted. We got some calls from Philadelphia. Uh, all right, yeah, Kim's over there with, with the phone. Mm-hmm. Let's take, uh, let's take, uh, all right, we got a brother calling us from East Oakland, California. Let's go with him first. Why not? Rob. Let's go to Rob. Rob is calling us. Uh-oh, Uh-oh. did we lose him? All right, Rob, call back. Say, hey, what's happening, family? Can you oh, hear there me? you go. There you go. Rob, what's going on, man? You're on with Nick Telefero, Kim, and Matt, Chicago and Philadelphia. We got Dr. Hosbrook back on with us. What's on your mind, Rob? So here's what I want to say, man. We, we, we've had these tragedies happening to our, our, our black communities, our black families forever. These are three movies that we need to study and dissect. And if we do that and we, 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 we get it properly dissected, we can change our communities starting tonight. Uh, one is Minister Society. We got to go back and look at that. Two, South Central. We got to go back and look at that. And the third one we got to go back and look at is Boys in the Hood. But when you look at Minister mm. Society, when Old Dog came through the door in the beginning of the movie in a liquor store, he was strapped, man. And so the, 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 the store owner said something about his mama. And that pain made him take another person's life two lives so we got to get to the trauma and we were just see trauma's just now hitting these communities it's only been around these under underserved no served communities for about seven years all right we you know what you could only we good. thought you could only traumatize if you went away to war good point we've got dr lamar hasbrook on doc did you hear that call <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, what do you think about it, Doc? Right Sociology right. by Hollywood. Let me hear you. Well, I, I appreciate the caller, and you know, I, and shout out to Oakdale because I spent some time there in my formative years, um, as well from being a native Californian. No, I think those movies are informative and can be informative. I, I think um, if I got his point, um, in terms of the, the the guy walking into the store strapped, I think that, um, to my mind. Um, makes me think about the accessibility to guns and to weapons. We are uniquely 
probably tenfold, twentyfold in terms of access of guns, in terms of guns per people. I think there's an average of two guns per every living person in the United States. Um, and people will say, you know, Second Amendment right, which is cool. Have you have you gun? But in terms of the accessibility of it, it is clear. There's a clear link in terms of the uh, trends in murder, in terms of the trends in firearms related murders. Um, and in terms of accessibility to guns. And as I was telling Kim earlier today, I said, if, you know, if every, every American slept with a baseball bat under their pillow, we would see an, a, <laughs> a precipitous increase in bludgeoning deaths and in uh, ER injuries from bats because everybody has a bat under their pillow. Funny. And that's the analogy in terms of the accessibility to guns. We are, we have way, way too many guns that, and easy accessibility to guns. And um, and that is something that we really have to deal with here. We are a violent culture, mm -hmm. but we are a uh, more vital uh, violent culture in terms of fatal injuries because of our access to, to weapons. One thing real quick. Adroitly though, handled, Dr. Hasbrook. <laughs> adroitly handled. Well, well, the one thing that I would also say that kind of goes along with that, when we went to Gary, Indiana, we spoke with a woman who is right in this fight dealing with violence. And one of the things she said was, if we didn't have access to guns, the way that we are acting now and the way in which we are relating with each other, we would all be killing each other with sticks and stones. We mm. would find something mm -hmm. because of how tuned up people are right now. Angry. Anger, anger you know, everything that's inside. You know, Kim and I had the other day to have it. Kim, I would challenge that. Okay. So would I. Really? <laughs> I would challenge that and take you back to the nursery school. Rhyme sticks and songs may break my bones, uh, but guns is going to kill me. Okay. That's a good one. Right. That's so a good one. There is a okay. lethality trajectory that we need to be att pay attention to. Okay. Uh, I sense that a, a drive-by stone throwing is going to yield a lot less damage than That's a drive-by Uzi shooting. That's fair enough. You know, Kim I and I you. had a, a very dynamic sister whose heart is in the neighborhood, each and every neighborhood that she can touch in Chicago. We were talking about this issue the other day, and uh, I was surrounded by these incredibly dynamic black women who care about black men, number one, and they care about the violence in the community mm. that's going on. And uh, Val Free is on with us, guys. I know you see her on our Zoom chat here. And she is one of those dynamic w women with the Neighborhood Network Alliance. And when I say her heart is in every neighborhood that she can reach, if she could reach all of them in Chicago, her heart would be sp uh, split up into 77 pieces, I'm sure. But her, her focus is on our community. She black, she proud, unapologetically proud of being black. And that's where her heart and soul is. And I want to bring her in on this conversation, Val. And we're going to get to the rest of the phone calls because we got Philly, we got Columbus, Ohio, we got Gary, Indiana that yep. Kimberly just mentioned. And, of uh -huh. course, if you're from Chicagowood, you know we got Inglewood as well. But, Val, talk about the work that you do, what you do, what your goals are, and why this is so important to you. Okay. So I am the executive director of the Neighborhood Network Alliance, and our goal is to bring people together from a standpoint of human capital. For many years, uh, we have used block clubs as the power base in our neighborhoods. And as we continue to look at how block clubs move, we realize block clubs is more of an antiquated model, but it's still effective in some areas, but overall it is not. So our goal is how do we stabilize neighborhoods? We have to use the next generation of 
leaders to stabilize neighborhoods. And if we don't use them, we're going to continue to see the things that we see and get the things that we get. So how we do it is we, we identify a block liaison on every block and say, can you do a human capital inventory? Find out who's on your block that's interested in housing, economic development, health and wellness, arts and culture, Wonderful. public safety, education, all of those things and create a network. And what we have found is when we ask young people, would you like to be involved in block clubs? They cringe, they frown, they do not want block clubs. Generation Xers, millennials, all of those in between do not want, are not attracted to block clubs. So what we're saying is, would you like to be a part of a network of arts and culture professionals and and, and, and enthusiasts? And the answer is totally different from, would you like to start a block club? So what we're doing is changing how we organize using a different language but addressing our issues because we are the people we can that have can save ourselves. The resources are right there on the block. We don't have to go anywhere else. Mm. I love that approach. I, I'm so glad she's that's, back. That's 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 it in a nutshell. That's a that, <laughs> I, I want to go around the horn and see what everybody thinks about it. And I'm gonna start with Kim. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like you're using the assets approach. But, you know, one of the things that Dr. Asbrook was talking about, yeah, no asset, matter how yeah. dilapidated uh, mm-hmm. a community is, you have got assets and you need to take stock of that. And really it's buy-in because people are directly involved in something that they're interested in and sharing all of that knowledge with, you, with each mm-hmm. other to bring up the community. I love that. Nick, I'm going to ask you in Philadelphia, right. have, or do you have anything like that going on in Philadelphia? And do you like... Uh, Sister Val's approach here and what she's doing. Well, look, absolutely. If if I go to another meeting where somebody comes into the room saying, if I had some turkey, I'd make a turkey and cheese sandwich if I had some cheese, where all they do is measure what they ain't got. I mean, <laughs> the idea of asset mapping, d- discerning what resources lie at your disposal, both human and material, is, is something that empowers our people, that empowers communities, and, and, and says, Val, I got to tell you, look, clone yourself, send yourself over here. We could use another one of you. Oh, there you go. And, and- well, the goal is to take the organization on a national level. But right now we're using South Shore, which is in South Chicago, as our pilot to, you know, kick work out the kinks. So as we grow, you can. But I will say this. When you start looking at networks, you will realize that people have a professional benefit as well as a community benefit because now you know who they are in your community. You can create all kinds of things with like-minded people. Dr. Hasbrook, I saw you nodding your head the whole time Val Free was talking. Yes, sir. Yes, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I love the approach. Um, uh, as has been said by many, um, every community has assets, and so building on those is very important. But I think equally as empowering sometimes is identifying um, and prioritizing the deficits and the scarcity and then allowing the community to lead in terms of what deficits or scarce commodities, resources, infrastructure or whatever needs to be dealt with first. Um, so it has to, you know, well, the, best yeah, solutions, the best solutions come from within the community, which is what you're, what you're saying. Yeah, that, it, yeah, it's a definitely a bottom up approach. Uh, the or, our organization does not guide. We stay very neutral, and we yeah. allow the community members to bring the issues that they feel are priority in their right. areas. 
I'm a, now we got some phone calls, and I think it's important to everybody. I'm going to let Kim be the one who decides who's going to be on. Okay. We're going to go to Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Brother Michael. Hey, good afternoon, uh, everyone. Thank you. Um, what I want to say, first of all, what that lady said is excellent and not surprising because since uh, in Philadelphia, since our dear brother Dave Richardson in, in Chicago, uh, since Fred Hampton, mm. we've always had answers and strong uh, ideas in, in terms of trying to empower and help our community. And I've actually lived in Philly for 60 years, and I frequent Chicago often because my mother used to live in Oak Park, and I used to leave out of Oak Park and hang on the west side and the south side. So I'm familiar with both. Now, you know, what's not ever being talked about, well, <laughs> what's not often talked about is, the problem is really at the hands of the uh, two parties that run this country there. And it has always been the Senate and the Congress. When you can't even convict someone who tried to destroy your country, it's just uh, the violence and um, what uh, it stands for, it just trickles down. So, unfortunately, we're having a terrible problem uh, in our communities right now. And the people should be charged with fixing it. Thank you so much for your call. You know, let's go. Let's take a Chicago call. Let's go to Israel and Inglewood. I'm walking, buddy. Yes. Hi, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bob. Hey, Matt. Tell Matt I'm still walking. He's still walking. I heard, brother. Yeah. <laughs> no, man, it ain't funny, man. I got back a couple of days ago. Friend of mine, I grew up with, he worked for one of the group. I got a call or text saying, hey, who did just that? Shot up and pushed out a moving car. I'm like, wow. But, um, this, this, this violence is everywhere. I mean, yesterday, 71st, I mean, it's just out of order. I think it's the drill, man. I was trying to tell the fifth pastor, and I don't know if Kim knew this guy named Spottom got him. Everybody has 54 million viewers doing this TikTok thing, but I'm saying, do they really know what that's really thing? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, um, like I said, I walked through Baltimore. I went to where the wire was at, Matt. Kim, like, don't go. Fuck the shot. Like, <laughs> I got to go where the wire was at. I went to every ghetto we went to. And then when I told those people, Kim, like, I mean, they were like, do Kim? I ain't saying no. Do they know they just left Chicago? It was like, it's funny. But Matt, early 90s, as you mentioned, it was, it was more motor than the 90s than now. It's just Facebook. And that might be early and, and that's no. a good point because because Doctor Hasbrook brought brought that up about the actual raw numbers. You know, they were greater in in the nineties. I think yes, social media has something to do with it today. But also, we're seeing more collateral damage. I think today than we did in the nineties when we had you know nine hundred thousand murders in Chicago. Really, we it was in an isolated community for the most part. People that were involved in gang business, you didn't hear too much. You did some, but it wasn't too much like what we're hearing today. This this uh, seventy uh, plus year old man being carjacked, beat up, and he died and oh, had a heart, heart attack. attack. Yeah. You know, kids being shot and killed. See, we weren't yeah. hearing that in the nineties. But I do want to get everybody's opinion on what Bob was talking about and saying that drill music. A lot of this music, because he's right, man. If you look at these cats, TikTok and 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 uh, UTV, uh, YouTube uh, hits, man, they're getting a million hits. And these are some of the cats from the O Block here in Chicago, yeah. talking about the violence and some just are, explicitly, t- just tell explicit them, Kim. shooting, killing, 
everything that you could like, like no musical quality whatsoever. I know that's subjective, but I think there had, there may be something and, and many of them are dying. They're, they're definitely, definitely dying. Um, uh, doc, there was something that you mentioned though, about this idea of how to transform what we're experiencing now into something else. I don't want to take the phrase from you. Can you just mention that? quickly <laughs> yeah well well let, let me just uh, speak very briefly in the last comment because there is a lot of research and a lot of data to substantiate the link between uh violent imagery that is on media that is on movies that is on music that is on video games what it does is it has the effect of of, of um desensitizing us about violence and so we feel like if we lack those coping skills, those conflict resolution skills, and we're desensitized to violent means of solving problems, we're going to snap and, and do that first. And so there is, there really is some re, some impressioning that happens um, that really reinforces violence. And so when you say, ah, it's just music, ah, it's just movies, ah, it's just video game, all that is cumulative over time and will desensitize folks and has made us more more violent. And so there is a connection there. Uh, but I think what, what you're referring to is um, is what I was talking about in terms of uh, the kind of the public health model, understanding violence, where it is, who, what, where, when, and how, but then also the million-dollar question in my mind is how do we begin to transform what we consider to be killing uh, killing fields into opportunity zones? Um, and so that that really is a measured approach that really is, starts with legislation, starts with resources, starts with building from the community and, and, uh, and, and, and kind of from the ground up. But it also is really matching um, either ways to amplify the assets, uh, supplement the deficits, um, and really go about things around community-oriented policing, things around parenting classes, things around after-school opportunities. A lot of things, clubs and networks, has, has been mentioned. So if you want to transform a killing zone into an opportunity zone, you have to be willing to really put your shoulder against the wheel and, and in, a, in a sustained way. Um, to, to begin to, to make this happen. And that, that requires political will, um, and that requires, you know, kind of ongoing commitment. And so I believe it can be done. It's been done in places like Harlem, very high rates where they have these uh, community education zones where they physically map out where's the problem, where kids are falling through the cracks, and then really all hands on deck to, 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 to fill in those deficits um, in terms of transforming. And it's, and it's been um, amazing in terms of the turnaround. So... You know, I think I think what it's saying, what I'm trying to say is that if we have political will, if we have sustained uh, commitment, then we can begin to transform, I believe, some of these um, some of our communities. There is hope at at the risk of of coming to the aid of some of these sordid lyrics that we're hearing. Some people were saying that that it's it's not so much life imitating art, but the art is imitating life, that the, the lyrics are coming from what people are experiencing. So. Is the rap music is is are these sorted lyrics and all? Are they causative or are they symptomatic? Um, I think they're both. I think they're reinforcing. I think it's a it's a okay. it's, yeah. I think it's a negative reinforcement that occurs. You see it. You talk about it. You rap about it. There's probably some venting that happens in doing that and expressing your reality and keeping mm-hmm. it real. However you want to you want to frame it. Uh, but then for folks who are naive who consume it and they begin to play act. Um, and now they want to play gangster. Now they want to play this, that, and the other. So I right. think it's a negative reinforcing thing. Um, obviously, 
your video games, you're doing other things. It's just, it's cumulative. You know, we, we live in a very violent environment. Um, it is a part, as, as Matt was saying, it is a part of our culture. Um, but violence is, is learned, which means it can be unlearned. You know, um, you, you don't, you don't, you're not born being violent. You learn it. Who do you learn it from? Learn it from your parents. Learning your family. Learning from your peers. Learning your neighborhood. Learning, you know, in, in, your, in, your, in your community, in your ecosystem, in your school. You start picking up these habits, and then before you know it, you transform. And so if it can be learned, one could argue it can be unlearned. Uh, healthier ways to solve problems, healthier ways to resolve conflict, et cetera. Val Free, I know you want to comment on this as well. Well, no, I, 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 my thing is that we got to get organized at the end of the day. If you're not organized all hell is going to break loose in your communities. Public safety is just the equal system to all of those things that I just described that we should be connecting one another on. And if we're not doing that and we think that it's going to just subside because we have people walking the streets and things like that, we have a Tuesday, hey, neighbor, walk every Tuesday at 6 o'clock in South Shore. It's nice and all, but it's not the root of the problem. And then until we get to the root of the problem, we won't have this. I also feel like no one's talking about character development when they talk about public safety. You can have all the money in the world, but if your character is jacked up, you're still going to be violent one way or another. We're not doing that. Mm, so we need to point. be able to that bring that point. into the conversation while we say, oh, these people need jobs. We got rappers out here doing all kinds of things that never need any money. And some of them are part of the problem. Mm. We're going to bring Woody into so the conversation. Need to talk about those. That's real Woody wisdom right there, Val. Well, I just wanted to say thank you guys for coming together. I, one of my heroes I lost, Mr. Cody Anderson, was from uh, Chicago, mm. and uh, he lived here in Philly for many, many years. I, I'm his barber, and uh, I was his barber, but he was a great, great man. But I can tell uh, where his aggressiveness came from. It had to do with being from Chicago. So you guys are quite aggressive, and, and, uh, and I appreciate that. My question to you is, here in Philadelphia, we have 30% illiteracy. Is that similar, the same in your city? Mm. Thank you for your call. That's, a, That's something we'd have to... Yeah, I, 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 am, uh, I am tempted to say yes, but without having absolute <laughs> detail knowledge, I would not be surprised. Public education is something Kim and I talk about all, all the, the time. time. Uh, let's go oh. to uh, mm. Gary. I checked. Gary, you're on, on. Oh, well, hold Let's hey. put Gary on hold. Gary, put you on hold. Uh, no, let's put you on hold. No. Hold on. We're going to come back to you, okay. Gary, because we're going to take a break. <laughs> before we go, before we break out, I want to give both Dr. Hasbrook and uh, Sister Valfrey an opportunity to give out their information, uh, their social media, so they can have support, not just here in Chicago, but for my brothers and sisters in Philadelphia that want to bond with you, Val. Give out any information that you want to share, social media or otherwise. Okay. Our website is T-H-E-N-N-A.org. Our phone number is 773-609-37, no, 3007. And you can follow us on Facebook, the, the Neighborhood Network Alliance. We have a group and a page. Our Instagram is Block Power 100. Mm, love it. Dr. Lamar Hasbrook, let, how are listeners who have been listening to your incredible analysis and intelligence, how can they follow you and find you? 
Yes, first of all, thank you all for having me. Enjoyed the dialogue and all the guests. Uh, folks can reach me at Dr. Lamar, M-D, D-R, that's D-R-L-A-M-A-R-M-D, um, dot org, that's my website, or um, at um, Gmail. So Dr. Lamar, M-D, at gmail.com as well. Nick, close it out, brother. It's been great. Oh. It has always been great. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to a simulcast between two powerhouse stations over in the city of Chicago, WVON. It is the voice of Black Chicago and my colleagues and the host of their afternoon drive program, Mac McGill and Kim Egowin. We want to thank both of you for joining us. This program has been sponsored by uh, Einstein Healthcare Network, and we're really grateful for all of the support that they give, and we're asking, of course, that you support them, Matt. Kim, I am hoping the next time you come walking to Philadelphia that you stop through <laughs> so I can show you where to get a real proper cheese. Steak. I know that's okay. right. Is brother. it Max's? <laughs> we go. Thanks gonna, for having me. We're gonna bring Val and Dr. Hosbrook with us as well, that's man. That's right. <laughs> All right. This has been great. Got it. Hey, look, I, I, I'll go deep into my pockets for those two good folks. There you go. Thanks so much, right. Kim. Thank, Thank you, you so guys. Much, Thank man. You guys. Dr. Hasbrook, Val, you. it's a pleasure to meet you both, and I look forward to you the too. next time that we get together, guys.